Well, thank you, Bob, and thank you to all of you for participating in that. And as Bob just mentioned, um, the, the prayers that we just prayed are going to really tie into the message that we get to go through in this passage in 1 Timothy. And I want to just give a quick introduction to this passage before I read it. Um, this is going to be about caring for the needy. In fact, that's going to be the house rule for today. We've talked about this throughout 1 Timothy, how 1 Timothy is sort of the house rules for how the family of God functions, and one of the house rules for the church of Jesus Christ is that we care for the needy. And Paul's going to talk about that through talking specifically about a group of people in the first century that needed specific care, and that was widows. Now, I'm going to read the passage in a minute, but I thought it was worth just a little bit of an introduction because there are going to be things in these verses. In fact, if you have a Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 is where we'll start. Um, but there are going to be things in this passage that strike us in the, first, in the 21st century as strange, that seem like, all right, this must have made sense to Timothy in the first century, but today this seems foreign and we're not quite sure why it's applicable. In fact, there are times, and you've probably experienced this, when you read the Bible in church or on your own and you think, I'm not quite sure how this is applicable. There are times where it's very obvious, there are times where it's not. And in fact, when we read the Bible, there's kind of two questions that should always be on our minds, and they come in order. The first question is, what did this passage mean for the original people who got it? So in this case, for Timothy and the people of Ephesus, what did it mean for them? And then the second question is, what does this mean for us today? What are the transferable realities and the teachings from that? And so that's something that we're going to have to do as we look at the passage today. So the way I'm going to walk through it, I'll read it, and then we're going to try to just walk through the, pa the passage and understand, here's what Timothy was meant to do with that. And then after that, we're going to be able to look at ourselves and say, what does this mean for how the church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century lives out this biblical house rule that we care for the needy? So if you have a Bible, you can follow along in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. And if you don't have a Bible, you can see that the verses will be up on the screen as I read them. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting your, herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry." Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they've broken their first pledge. 
Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. This is God's Word. And as I already mentioned, so this is a passage that made a lot of sense in the first century, made a lot of sense to Timothy, and is going to make sense to us today as we broaden out and say, the instructions Paul gives Timothy about caring for widows is going to give us instructions about how we today practice care for the needy. And we're going to go through this sort of from a first century perspective and then talk about it for today. But, but let me just say a couple things in starting off. As we go through this, I'm going to give you three things I want to suggest that you keep in mind as we try to get into Timothy's mind and how this would have hit him. And the first one is this. Keep in mind what this says about how we as a church, as a whole church community, care for the needy people that God's brought into our circles. One of the ways that affects each of us is our personal giving to this church. So number one, how does this affect us as a church community? Number two, kind of have the question in your mind, how does this affect me as an individual? Because there are people that God has put in your sphere who are going to be in desperate need at different times. And this passage is going to guide you with wisdom and how to interact in those situations. So how does this affect us as a church? How does this affect me as an individual wanting to show compassion but be wise in that? And the third one, and this might be letting the cat out of the bag a little bit, but the third thing I want you to keep in mind is what this passage about people who are in desperation teaches us as believers about the character of God who comes and meets us in our hours of deepest desperation. But as Paul walks Timothy through the care of widows and through the care of the needy, it's going to come in three parts. The first one will be the shortest. He's going to talk to Timothy about the foundation of Christian care for the needy. Then he's going to talk about the recipients because there should be some specific people receiving this care. And then thirdly, he's going to talk about what the desired effects of this care are. So verses 1 and 2 start us with the foundation, and this will be the shortest part. He's speaking to Timothy. He says, all right, Timothy, and I imagine he's thinking back, all right, a few verses ago, Timothy, I told you, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And when you're young and you feel a little bit punchy because maybe people are trying to intimidate you and make you feel like you don't have anything to say, you can overreact on the other side and you can say, all right, if anybody crosses me, I'm going to make sure I don't back down. I'm going to make sure to shut them down. And I don't care if it's an important person. I don't care if they're tall or small. I don't care if it's a man or a woman. I don't care if they're young or old. I'm going to put them in their place if they cross me or if I feel like they've crossed the church in some way. And Paul says, Timothy... Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. He doesn't say if an older man is out of line, don't say anything to him. He says, don't rebuke him harshly. Treat him like you would your dad. If your dad was off base, you'd want to help. You'd want to say something. Sometimes you'd feel compelled that you need to say something, but you'd come alongside. You'd look to be gentle and thoughtful and respectful in how you do it. So, Timothy, with older men, exhort him as you would your father. And he just kind of parlays this into talking about the rest of the church. Treat younger men as brothers. 
older women as mothers and younger women as sisters, and he adds a little addendum on the end, with absolute purity, which is probably Paul's way of telling Timothy, don't spend tons of one-on-one time with the younger women. Let the older women disciple them. Hey, they're sisters. Don't ignore them. Don't treat them like you can't be around them. But just be wise about this. Handle all of this with purity. Now, here's why in a passage where Paul is about to launch into some very specific explanations about how to handle widows who are in need, he begins with Timothy, giving him the foundation of, Timothy, I want you to remember something about the church. The church is a family. The older men in the church, Timothy, are like fathers to you. The older women are like mothers to you. The younger men are like brothers to you. The younger women are like sisters to you. And in a family, you take care of each other. In a family, you don't say, that's your problem. In a family, you say, your problem is our problem. I've yet to meet the parent who, uh, let's say, uh, the the parent is saying, well, my daughter fell out of a tree and she broke her leg and we had to rush her to the hospital and there are all kinds of things. We're at the hospital for a long time. We had to take an ambulance there and then she's got medication and she's got a cast and after that, she's gonna have to do some physical therapy. I mean, gosh, I don't know how she's gonna pay for all this stuff. I don't know how she's going to do it. Going to have to take out a second job and maybe a loan. No parent would ever say that. The daughter's problem is the parent's problem. The daughter's problem is the family's problem. And Timothy is about to talk about widows, and it could be easy for Timothy or for other people in the church to say, gosh, that's not my problem, that's their problem. Timothy, the church is a family. The problems of the most desperate people in the family are the problems of every member of the family. The foundation of Christian care is not just that there's people in the world that need care, which there always are, and Paul here isn't saying don't care for anybody outside of the church family, but he is going to say there's a priority given to people within the family. In the same way that your children are not more important than children in a different place in the world, but your children are your children. So they are the children that God has called you to give special care and attention to. The members of the family of God get special prioritized care because they're part of the family. So Timothy, as we talk about widows, just remember we're all part of a family, and now he's going to get specific, and he's going to talk about recipients of Christian care, and specifically with widows, by beginning by saying, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. And if you've read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'll pick up eventually that widows have a special place in God's heart. Widows are highlighted here, not just randomly as one of many groups that need care from the church, but specifically because in the first century, widows would have been the most vulnerable group of people within the church. They would have been the people most in need of financial care as they continued to age. So Paul has some special instructions. Timothy, we don't need to miss this. Every church in the first century needed to have a plan for this. Timothy, I want you to give proper recognition to those widows in need because, Timothy, I want you to remember what Psalm 68 verses 5 and 6 said, that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in His holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Timothy, I want you to remember God's care for the widows. And not only do I want you to remember God's care for the widows, I want you to remember what He said to the nation of Israel about their care 
for the widows. In Deuteronomy 22, 22, I'm sorry, Exodus 22, 22, when he says, do not take advantage of a widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children will be fatherless. It sounds like God takes this pretty seriously. I was like, I care about the widows. If you take advantage of the widows, there's a price to pay. And Timothy, don't also forget what James said now to the church of Jesus Christ. In James chapter 1, verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. Somewhere near the core of what it means for us to live out Christianity in the world is the care for the most vulnerable. And in the first century, top of the list of the most vulnerable were the widows. Timothy, you got to care for them. This is one of the great unique things about Christian care. This is one of the things that sets the church apart or should set the church apart that in a society, and this is pretty much every society, but definitely 21st century United States, in a society where we typically judge people by their usefulness to us, I want you to care for the people that might seem like they're going to bring no return on investment. Care for the most vulnerable care for the most desperate. Timothy, give proper recognition. Another translation of that is honor those widows who are really in need. In fact, it's funny, the, that, that phrase at the end, those widows who are really in need, the literal translation would just be real widows, which sounds funny because it's like, are there fake widows if there are real widows? And the NIV translation is good here because that's what Paul is getting at. Paul is not saying there's fake widows out there, but what he's saying is, all right, there's different widows who are in different situations. And while the church should be looking to give care to anybody at different times, there's going to be certain special care given to those widows who are really in desperation. Not just to somebody, not just to some woman whose husband has died, but to a widow who is really bereft a widow who is really desperate. And he gives the contrast to that in verse 4 by saying, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Paul says, Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, all right, here's the deal. The church as an organization should take care of widows. But if they're, and, and I got to imagine what he's saying here is, all right, Timothy, if there are members of her family who are a part of the church, instead of having the church offering go to get her care, those members of her family should be the ones giving her care. They should be welcoming her into their home. They should be making sure that she's fed and taken care of. They should be the ones making sure they're giving her visitation and care and emotional support and all the things that you would need in that situation. Timothy, and I got to imagine this because Timothy probably read this privately, and also Timothy probably read this before the people of Ephesus. And I just wonder if there was some situation that was going on in Ephesus where over here was the widow who was in desperate need. And over here were her children. And Timothy is reading this, and Paul, through Timothy, is shaming the children into making sure that they're taking care of their mother, saying this is appropriate. He even says this is an appropriate repayment. 
What Paul is illustrating here, and, and this, is, this is still true in America, but, but with uh, us living longer and with retirement, we, we don't always see it as much, saying life in, and neediness is almost like a bell curve. At the beginning of your life, you're very, 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 very needy. You need somebody to do everything for you. And, and during your early years, you need somebody to do almost everything for you. And then you grow in greater capability and you're able to do more things for yourself. And then God willing, you reach sort of middle age and you're not only able to do things for yourself, but you're able to do things to help other people. And so the money that you have and the capability that you have benefits other people. And then you start to be able to do a little bit less. And then when you get really old, guess what happens? You need people to do almost everything for you. And life is a bell curve. And Timothy, I want you to remind everybody, remember when you were really young? Remember when you were a baby? Remember when you couldn't feed yourself or clothe yourself or give yourself anything? Who took care of that for you? Oh, that's right. Your mom did. So now that your mom is old and needs care, guess what? Your turn to begin taking care of her. There's all kinds of questions that come up for us in this. You might be thinking, all right, well, you know, does this mean that putting parents in a home is always wrong? Does that mean that that's not an okay thing to do? And, and I think in some ways that, that's getting a bit more, too specific with this. So, so let me say this. Um, I've been around different nursing homes and convalescent homes, and uh, I've always noticed this. There are people in those homes, older people in those homes, who's Kids and grandkids are there almost every day or at least every week. And there are people in those convalescent homes and nursing homes that haven't seen their kids in months. I don't think this passage is saying there's never an appropriate time to transition your parent into a home where they're going to get appropriate care. But what it does mean is you don't treat their care as somebody else's job saying, this is part of living out your religion. So Timothy, all right, make sure you start with that. The church shouldn't have to take care of those widows because the children are taking care of those widows. But Timothy, there's going to be some women who are just in a desperate situation. So he says, the widow is really in need, the real widow, is left all alone. Either her kids are died or she doesn't have kids or her kids have refused to take care of her because they're just not doing their job. So she is left all alone. She puts her hope in God. And you know why she puts her hope in God? Nobody else for her to put her hope in. She's got no children, got no grandchildren, got no care, got no stream of income. She puts her hope in God and day and night and day to pray and to ask God for help. And this is part of the beauty that Paul is talking to Timothy about. He's saying, all right, Timothy, here's what I want to happen. I want when there's a person, and specifically when there's a widow in such a desperate situation that she is crying out and saying, God, you are my only hope that God will meet that hope through the church. That we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this situation. That when somebody says, unless God comes through for me, nobody's coming through for me, that the church of Jesus Christ comes through for them to show them that God came through for them. This woman's crying out night and day, God, you're my only hope, you have to rescue me. And then the church steps in to meet her needs because the church is the body of Christ. By contrast, he says in verse 6, but the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Um, now that's pretty harsh, but um, here, here's what may be going on here. What may be going on here is first of all saying like, all right, there is a priority focus 
of the widows who God has called to be a part of the church. It doesn't mean they, they ignore needs outside of the church, but it does mean all right, there's a priority to the recipients being part of the family. And also, it means this. It means there might be a situation where there's a widow who does have means, but gets word that she could get some extra money from the church so that she could go spend it on whatever she wants to spend it on. And saying, all right, Timothy, that's not what the funds are there for. They're not there just to make somebody's life a little bit more luxurious. They're there to meet the needs of the most desperate. So in verse 7, he says, give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Now, why would they be open to blame is answered in verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. These are serious words. And notice in the context, this isn't saying husbands go work so that your wife is taken care of or parents work so that your children are taken care of, although that would be appropriate kind of far-reaching applications. He's saying if you don't take care of your parents, you're not even doing what non-Christians know you're supposed to do. Now, a, a quick word on this, because we do live in a very different society. You might be looking at, I, I'm looking at this, my parents are in their early 70s, they're, they're still in relatively good health. Um, my parents are unlikely to be in a position where they need financial assistance from me, me and Karina, and thank God, because I'm a pastor, so, you know. <laughs> my, I'm just saying, my dad made a lot more money than I did, he was really, really successful in his work. They're, they're, they're unlikely to need financial help for, from us. But as they've aged, me and my siblings have each looked at the situation and said, we need to make sure that they're not left alone. We need to make sure that they have our emotional support, that they have our relational support, that with all that they invested in us, that what they experience is that their children are paying that back in an appropriate way. So if you're hearing this and saying, well, my parents don't need me to take care of them or won't need me to take care of them, that might be true financially. But if your parents are abandoned and neglected in their old age, Paul is saying you're doing worse than what a non-Christian who feels no obligation to God does. This is serious. And he even reiterates this. I'll pull up verse 16 now because this is sort of a callback at the end of the passage. He seems to address the situation of saying, all right, maybe instead of a family, there's a woman who has means. And so she's independently wealthy or she's just done well for herself. So if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. This is the third time of talking about the real widows. And here's the deal. If you're a family, if you're a man, if you're a woman who has wealth and you have widows in your family that have need, it is your job. Don't take advantage of the generosity of the wider family of God. Do your work to show care. This is a reflection of the gospel. This is a, a reflection of the idea that people are not valuable because we find them useful. Quick question. Aren't you glad God didn't send His Son only for people who were useful to Him? Romans 5 says that when Jesus died for us, we were helpless, godless sinners. How useful do you think helpless, godless sinners are to God? God meets us in our utter desperation. And when we do this as a church, Timothy, when you do this as a church, that reflects the gospel. So Timothy, care for the widows really in need. Give care to all kinds of people, but especially prioritize the care 
for those who are in the most desperate situations and don't have others to take care of them. And what he does starting in verse 9, then, this is where the passage seems to get kind of weird to us because it's very specific. He talks about the desired effect of this. And what he makes really clear is the effect of giving to people in need is not to make us feel better about ourselves. The desired effect of this is that we would enable godliness instead of enabling destructive behavior. He makes it clear that it takes a level of godliness to be able to handle being provided for financially by somebody else. So verse 9 starts to get a little bit weird. Verse 9 says, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. So let's look back at the beginning. No widow may be put on the list of widows. So we can infer at least one thing here. Timothy had a list of widows. And you think, all right, easy enough. You just go through and you ask everybody and you do a survey and you, you make a list of all the widows in the church and those are the ones that get care. But notice that Paul is saying, don't put every widow on that list. So this clearly isn't just record keeping. This isn't just him saying to Timothy, oh yeah, you know, you keep track of all your people, you do a census, have that list of widows. He's saying there's widows who are going to be put on that list and there's widows who are not going to be put on that list. Now, we, we have to do a little bit of speculation here, and so let me re- lead you through. I'll start with what basically everybody agrees on who studies this passage. What basically everybody agrees on is that this list consisted of widows who are going to get lifelong care and provision from the church. That almost in essence, their needs were going to be met. They were on the list because for, not just for a temporary amount of time, for their entire lives, the church was committing, we will take care of you. Your needs will be met. You'll be fed. You'll be clothed. You'll be taken care of. You'll have people in your life. The church will take care of you. That's what basically everybody agrees on. And then we get into a little bit of speculation, and I'll I'll tell you my best bet of what I think was involved in this list that Paul's talking to Timothy about. It seems to be some situation where some widows could opt in to a relationship with the church that went both ways, where the church said, for the rest of your life, we will meet your financial needs. You don't have to worry about anything. Your needs will be met. And in response, the widows signed on to say, we are going to live at the beck and call of the church to be ready to serve. We're going to visit the sick we're going to care for the needy, we're going to offer up prayers. In fact, from from the time of the early church, really throughout church history, widows in particular have had powerful ministry in the church for caring for people in need and specifically for prayers that have ended up having a major impact on the impact of God's people. So it seems to be, all right, there seems to be evidence that there's some kind of two-way relationship where it's not just the church saying, we'll take care of you. It's the widow saying, we are signing on to certain commitments. And seemingly one of the commitments was, I will not get married again. So you could call it sort of a, a vow of celibacy, but it's say, all right, by signing on for this partnership where the church is taking care of me, in essence, the church is going to become my husband. The church is going to become my provider and I won't get married again. And we're going to see later on why there seems to be evidence for this. But he starts off, he says, all right, first of all, no widow should be put on this list unless she's over 60, which some of you right now might be thinking, hey, like, why 60? What's the deal with 60? And, And let me just say, in the first century, as Timothy is receiving this, 60 is a lot older then than it seems now. 
If you've reached 60, you probably have already exceeded your life expectancy. So he's saying, all right, here, here's the deal. If somebody is 60 years old, she's probably not going to get remarried, probably not going to have more children, probably needs a level of care because she can't go out into the fields and, and, and work or even go out into the fields and glean what's left over. So she needs special care. So if she's over 60, all right, but then she's possible for this list. She needs to be over 60. And then he starts naming off ways that she needs to be godly, which seems strange because it's like, well, so you have to be godly to get charity? That's not the response of Jesus. That's not the habit of the church in the first century or throughout history. So there seems to be a more specific idea here where he's not saying, hey, if you're going to get any help from the church, you better have lived a really godly life. He's saying, if you're going to receive this specific level of care and partnership, it needs to be a woman who's lived a godly life, who's been maritally faithful, who's probably raised up children, and he names off different things about the care that she's shown for other people. Now, here's the deal. You're, you're going to see this as we go through the following verses. Why Paul is saying this is almost certainly for this reason. He's saying, Timothy don't put a woman in a position where she's going to have all of her needs met if having all of her needs met is going to enable continually bad and destructive behavior. He's actually calling Timothy, think about what this will do for her soul. Don't just think about making yourself feel better about yourself. Think of if this care and provision will be good for her or will be bad for her. And for that reason, in verse 11, he says, as for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. He doesn't say they get nothing. He just says, don't put them on this specific list where they're signing on for perpetual care until they die. And they're also signing on for these different commitments, which probably involved a perpetual vow, I'm not going to get remarried. And here's where I think that happens. Here's why I think this happens. Look at what he says in the second half of verse 11. He says, for with these younger widows, when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Now, is it bad to marry? Guys are like, we don't even know right now. This is a weird passage. <laughs> not only is it not bad to marry, in a couple verses, you know what Paul is going to say younger widows should do? He's going to say they should get married. She could look at this verse and say, what, what in the world? Why would getting married represent them letting their sensual desires, their physical indulgence take over instead of their devotion to Christ. The reason why that would be the case is if these women have made perpetual vows, here's what I'm going to do. I vow before God and before the people of God that I will remain a widow for the rest of my life and I will serve the church in this way. And Paul says, don't put a younger widow in that position where then later on she's going to be in a position where she really wants to get remarried, which is not a weird thing at all for her to want to do. She wants to raise more children. She's looking forward to that. And now she needs to choose between that desire and the vow that she made. That's why I think in verse 12, he says, thus they bring judgment on themselves, not because they want to get remarried, but because they've broken their first pledge. St. Timothy, don't put a younger widow in that situation. You're setting her up to fail. You're setting her up to be in a position where it's going to be really, really difficult for her to keep that vow. So don't put a younger widow in that situation. He goes into verse 13 and he gives other reasons not to put them in that situation. He says, besides, they get into the habit of being idle. All their needs are taken care of. And they're still young and able-bodied and able to handle a lot of things. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle, going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies, talking nonsense, saying things they ought not to. 
which in some ways that kind of makes us laugh. Probably what's going on here, though, is that Paul is not simply saying, Timothy, they're just going to become gossips. He's probably actually saying, Timothy, they're going to be that much more susceptible to the false teachers who are going around Ephesus because they got nothing going on. All of their needs are taken care of when they're able-bodied, capable young women. So he says in verse 14, so I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned to follow Satan. Some have already bought into this false teaching. So Timothy, here's good advice. You got a younger widow, and here's what he's saying. What he's saying is not, Timothy, the only possible good thing a woman could do is get married and have children. What he's saying is, Timothy, instead of encouraging a younger widow in her 20s and 30s to make a lifelong vow to the church that she's not going to get married again, encourage her to get remarried. He's not saying the only valuable thing a woman could do is to get married and have children, but he certainly is elevating it as an incredibly valuable thing to give your life to. He says, here's what would be good to use the opportunities that they have, to use the resources that they have, the capability that they have for something good. Because you know what, Timothy? Giving financial support and taking care of people's needs doesn't always result in godliness in their lives. With these older widows who have shown habits of godliness, if you take care of all their financial needs, almost certainly you're going to be enabling godliness to flourish. But if you meet all of the financial needs of somebody who's capable themselves, you're almost certainly going to be enabling destructive behavior. And quick question, have you ever been helping somebody before and then had to come to the conclusion you weren't actually helping them? Said, yeah, you had a good heart. You were looking to do good things. You cared about them. You were looking to follow what Jesus wanted to do. You're being very generous with your time and with your money. And suddenly you realized, "I'm, I'm not helping this person. I'm actually enabling bad behavior, and they would be better off by having to figure out some things for themselves. Um, I'll, I'll even give, I'll, I'll make this quick, but I'll give a quick illustration from my own life. Um, having, having sort of your, your problems taken away or your daily concerns taken away does not necessarily facilitate godliness. And I've really recognized this in myself this year, because at the beginning of the year, I look to make some very specific commitments about my time in God's Word each day, about my time of prayer each day, and about regular journaling. I really set that in place and said, here's what I want my habits to be because I've seen these things bear fruit in my life. And uh, the, the slowest time, the time that I most abandoned these things as regular parts of my habits were not the busiest times of the year. The busiest times of the year, I, I'm killing, I'm cranking these things out. What do you think were the times that I most got lazy and abandoned these habits? Anybody want to guess? Vacation. We had the opportunity to take two vacations this year. Those were the times I was least consistent in reading God's Word, least consistent in praying, least consistent in journaling. Quick question, during vacation, did I have more or less time to do these things? I had more. But I was sitting around saying, I'll get to it. I'm not as busy as some of you, but man, there are days where I think, if I'm not up reading my Bible at 6 a.m., it won't happen. I got to do it. I'm desperate. I need to make sure to order my life. Taking away daily concerns from people does not necessarily enable godliness. In fact, Paul in in Philippians, he says something at the end of chapter four where he says, God has taught me the secret of handling it and being godly when I have a lot 
and when I have nothing. And in some ways you might think, well, it's easy to be godly when you have a lot. I need to know the secret of being godly when you have nothing. But Paul doesn't say that. He says, it's really difficult to be godly when you have nothing. And it's really difficult to be godly when you have a lot. Because when you have a lot, you sort of lose that desperation. You think you're self-sufficient. You think you got all the time in the world to take care of things. So Timothy, be careful not to enable bad behavior by your giving. And, and that affects us as a church, and that affects us as individuals. I mean, one, I, I wish I had a little bit more time, but, but let me just say a couple of things about this. Um, if you, Bob, Bob Butler, when he was up leading our time in prayer, talked about this. If you, after the service, walk outside and look to the right on the wall in the lo- lobby, you can grab little pamphlets that talk about all the missionaries we support and all the local ministries we support. And if you look at the local ministries we support, I think what you're going to find is, wow, they are really looking. We as a church are really looking to support the people in the most desperate situations, the people who really can't give back. Supporting ministries that are looking to save and give care to unborn babies. Ministries that are looking to give care to parents and families where a child has cancer. Ministries that are giving care to women who are fresh out of prison and looking to rebuild their lives. Giving to people who are in desperate situations because when people are hopeless and their only hope is God, you know how God means to show His presence? It's through His church. Again, I know this could sound self-interested, but I say this partly to say, when you feel like you're not sure if you should answer the call to giving to this church, I feel like you can have confidence in your giving. We are looking to order things in a way that we're caring for the needy. And I also want to say, in your life, you may be thinking of people right now. You're saying, all right, there's people in my life that I could help, and I don't know if it's wise to, and I don't know how much I should do in that. As you're making those decisions, try to keep two things in mind that are right from this passage. And one of them is this. The fact that the person can't pay you back does not mean you shouldn't give them care. In fact, it may be a sign that you should. But take at least time to prayerfully ask the question, is the effect of my care likely to be godly behavior on their part? Or is the effect of my care likely to be behavior that's going to be destructive and I kind of just want to do this to assuage my guilt. I kind of just want to do this to make myself feel better and say I'm a generous person. As believers in Jesus Christ, we're not just looking to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We're looking to actually have godly effects on people around us. Consider that and also consider this. And I'll say this as as we get ready for the band to come out and lead us in a song and as we get ready for a response time where during the song, you could come up for a prayer. Um, I, I want you to consider this. God reached out to us when we were at our most desperate. God reached to us when we had nothing good to offer Him. And some of you right now walk into this church service this morning, and you're at a place that you are especially feeling the desperation. Frankly, maybe this morning it's not so much about you saying, all right, I need to think about the care I need to give. It's you saying, I I need to recognize I am desperate. I am bereft. I am kind of feeling like the widow right now. And it could be for a variety of reasons. 
It could be because this week you slipped back into some sin that you thought you had conquered, you thought it was in your past, and you just feel awful. You just feel beat down by guilt and shame over this. And you want to come to God, but you're sort of looking at it and saying, well, well, do desperate people, do people so guilty and ashamed of their sin? Is it okay for those people? Is there hope for us when we come to God? And the good news is that's exactly who Jesus came to die for. Some of you come here this week and you just got a diagnosis and you're feeling desperate about that. You have bad news about a family member and you're feeling desperate about that. You're in a really dark place emotionally and you're feeling desperate about that. And here's the good news of all of this. Just as Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, I want the church to be a shining light to remind people that when they have hope nowhere else, they have hope in me. And the way that they are going to know that they have hope in me is that the church steps in to be my hands and my feet. If you're at a place that you are feeling that desperation and saying, I need hope, I need help, I need care, I need prayer, I need God right now, then during this time as we're responding and singing, feel free at any moment just to step out of your seat, come to the sides where there will be pastors and elders and prayer team members. God is the God of the orphan and the widow. God is the God of the brokenhearted. God is the God of the desperate. And if you're desperate this morning, don't leave without approaching the God who sent his son to die for you and meet you in your desperate situation. Why don't you stand right now and let me pray for us as we get ready to respond in singing and in worship. Father, thank you so much. You don't just save us because we're useful to you. You save us because of the great love that you desire to pour out. You've made us sons and daughters You've made us brothers and sisters with one another. You've met us in our desperation. And Father, I pray that through this church family, you shine the light of the hope that you bring through how we care for the most needy in our midst. But Father, I also pray for right now that you show special care to the most needy spiritually, socially, physically, financially right now. That they experience your tenderness, your care, that they experience that through your presence, through your spirit. They experience that through brothers and sisters who will walk with them and pray with them as they approach you in your desperation. We love you, and we pray that you receive the worship of desperate, needy people like us right now. In Jesus' name, amen.